This is Grammy Award-winning guitarist Jim Kimo West, and I'm here with Dave and Ethan, and together they are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 112-inch. On this week's episode, we welcome the Grammy Award-winning guitarist and episode one-inch guest, Jim Kimo West, back to the podcast. Okay, Kimo, you do the honors. And now, let's hear that pretty stinking majestic theme song. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast. Well, thank you, Chemo. It's always great to hear our official Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast theme song, as performed by you. All right, well, we're going to be back with Chemo shortly. But first, let's go on to this week in Weird Al-related news. We have some very sad news to share. Maybe you've seen this online. It was just shared this past Thursday. But actor John Paragon, who played Richard Fletcher in UHF, has unfortunately passed away. Now, John, he actually died back on April 3rd, but his death was not made public until last Thursday. Now, besides his memorable role in UHF as R.J. Fletcher's son, you will also recognize John Paragon from the television series Pee-wee's Playhouse, where he portrayed the character Jombie the Genie. Now, Jombie's catchphrase, Mecca Lecca High, Mecca Heine Ho, that will sound familiar to Weird Al fans because that exact phrase can be heard in Weird Al's song, Pretty Fly for a Rabbi. Now, here's a really cool connection. Two years before the release of UHF, back in 1987, Weird Al performed at the annual Halloween Haunt event at Knott's Berry's Farm with none other than John Paragon. Now, John Paragon, he was performing under the name Ramon Azteca at those shows. And not only did he open for Weird Al, but Al's band backed him during his set. Uh, John, he was extremely funny. He was such a talented guy. And we absolutely loved him. And we know that so many fans are hurting right now. So we want to share our deepest condolences to John's family, friends, and fans. So from all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, Gil and Chill in peace, John. Last Friday, June 18th, was the theatrical debut of the Sparks Brothers documentary by filmmaker Edgar Wright. And as we reported earlier, Weird Al has a cameo in it. Now, Ethan, I understand you saw the Sparks Brothers documentary last weekend? Actually, yes. I'm really excited. Oh, that sound means we have a message on the official Dave and Ethan's 2000s Weird Al podcast, 347 Spatula Hotline. All right, let's take a listen. Dave and Ethan, it's Kenneth. The Sparks documentary, absolutely bodacious. Amazing, amazing. Uh, if those of you listening haven't seen it yet, I would highly recommend it. It is a great film showcasing the whole career of the Sparks Brothers, all of their albums, the beginning to the end, to the future. Who knows when they'll stop? The music was great. Learning about them was great. The story was magnificent. Also seeing Al in it was amazing. Anyway, I really liked it. Definitely a go-see documentary. 
Thanks. Well, thank you, Kenneth, for calling the official 347 Spatula Hotline with your review of the Sparks Brother documentary. Man, I cannot wait to see this film. And, Ethan, I'm so sorry that you got cut off before, but uh, you were going to say something about the Sparks Brother documentary. Would you like to share your review with us now? Yes, thank you, Dave. Oh, sorry, Ethan. You know, this call is a little more important than your review. Let's take a listen to it. Hey, it's Ethan. And hey, it's Trevor. And we just saw the Sparks Brothers. Yes, we did. Um, What were your thoughts? I have one. I thought that there should have been more Weird Al. You know, you and I think very much alike. I agree. Otherwise, it was a delightful time. It was great, yeah. I mean, if there was maybe two hours worth of Weird Al talking about them, it would have been my favorite movie I've seen in a year. But because it is the only movie I've seen in the theater in a year, I'm still going to say it's my favorite movie I've seen in a year. Plus, it's the only movie you've seen in the theater in a year with Weird Al. That's true. So it really has a lot going for it. you got to see it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you. All right. Thanks, Dave and Ethan. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, thank you so much for that review of the Sparks Brothers documentary, Trevor Son. And uh, I'm sorry, but I missed that other guy's name. Anyway, Trevor, I really enjoyed your review. Uh, your friend's review was, uh, I mean, okay. I mean, he just he just sounded like a weirdo. I'm sorry. I know, I know it's really not my place to say this, Trevor, but I think maybe you should get some new friends. Hey! I was going to say that, too. You are totally right, Dave. That other guy sounded like a total weirdo. But anyway... I saw the film, and it was really pretty sinking majestic. I have to say, the story was incredible. Their music was really great, and the cameos throughout the film, you know, Weird Al, Patton Oswald, Flea, uh, it was great. It was really great, and everything about it was really well put together and really funny. Weird Al is only in it very briefly. You see two really short clips of him right in the beginning, one where he's playing accordion, but I don't think you can even hear the accordion. He talks like two more times in the film. So it's very brief. It's over a two hour film and Al is really not in it very much. So if you are interested in seeing it primarily just to see Weird Al, that's probably not your best idea. But if you have any interest in the subject matter, this really quirky, weird band who have just sustained their career since the late 60s, early 70s, all the way up until now, and they are just two really interesting, weird, talented guys, then you are going to love it. So I highly recommend seeing the Sparks Brothers while it's still in theaters. Well, thank you for your review, Ethan. Next time, maybe you can call in your review to the 347 Spatula Hotline. All right. All right. I'll, yeah. Well, if anyone else has seen the film and wants to weigh in, please do call the 347 Spatula Hotline, and you might even hear your review on a future episode. Now, in addition to the Sparks Brothers being released last Friday, last Friday was also the release date for the Grammy Award-winning episode 112-inch guest Jim Kimo West's brand new album, Kahonua Maluhia Peaceful World. Now, this album is pretty stinking majestic. It's got 12 great tracks on it. And one of my favorites is the last track, Queen's Lullaby. And that's because it reminds me of Canadian Nichols. If you want to pick up the physical copy of the album, head over to jimkemowest.com. Or, of course, head to iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere digital music is to check out the album digitally. 
And Dave, you know, we really should have Jim on the podcast to talk about this new album. You are absolutely right. Let's see. How about uh, next week? Yeah, lock it in. Perfect. Meanwhile, this week's episode is brought to you in part by Vegan Burrito Restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito or hop on over to Wizard Burger for mouth-watering loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Troy to Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food, always vegan style. Visit burritosquared.com or wizardburger.com and order ahead. Now, a few weeks back, we mentioned how Weird Al was once again a guest on Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And you may also remember that the event was recorded live on Zoom, and both Dave and I were in attendance. Well, that episode with Weird Al has finally been published and is available now to listen. You can head on over to gilbertpodcast.com or find it wherever you find fine podcasts, or you can check out Weird Al's social media for a link. And prior to Weird Al posting about it being out, we found out from our listener and friend, Samantha Evans. Thanks for the heads up. Patreon supporter Blair Freeman let us know that he heard Weird Al on yet another podcast last week, the Office Ladies podcast with Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey. Blair let us know that Weird Al comes up in conversation around 50 minutes into episode 80, and they even played a clip of Al playing accordion on the Pennsylvania polka with the scrantones from a private rehearsal tape. Thank you for that heads up, Blair. It is always great when Al comes up in conversation where you least expect him to. For more context and to hear that pretty stinking majestic clip of Al playing the Pennsylvania polka, check out the Office Ladies podcast. There's some exciting news from FunFest. Dr. Demento alumni Sulu has been added to their lineup. For tickets and more information, be sure to head to FumpFest.com. Both Ethan and I really wish we could be there. So if you plan to attend, please let us know so we can live vicariously through you. Here's a big reminder, this Saturday, June 26th, is the Magic for Memories event with episode 111-inch, a.k.a. last week's guest, magician Justin Willman. Ethan and I, we both have our tickets already, so hopefully we will see you all there. We just know that it's going to be an incredible event, and it's for such an incredible cause, and Weird Al being there, that just makes it one billion times better. For tickets and more information, head on over to magicformemories.com. I just can't wait for the event on Saturday, but luckily, we don't have to wait any longer for this week's interview. Our next guest is fresh off of a Grammy Award win, and he just released his newest album, Kaho Nua Maluhia, Peaceful World. This past Friday, fans of Weird Al will instantly recognize him as the lead guitarist for nearly 40 years, and fans of this podcast will instantly recognize him as the writer of our pretty stinking majestic theme song. Please welcome back to the podcast and give a big aloha to Jim Kimo West. Welcome back, Jim. So nice to talk to you again. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for so much for having me on again. It's uh, It was a pleasure the first time, and again this time. <laughs> you know, we wanted to start the podcast 
podcast on a strong note. And really, there is no better way than having the Jim Kimo West on. So thank you again for joining us back then and again right now. My pleasure. I mean, there's so much to get to. We haven't talked to you on the podcast in over two years. And so much happened. We talked about the Grammy Award winning. You released a couple new albums. And, you know, you've been on tour with Weird Al with an entire orchestra. There's just so much to get to. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I uh, you know, it has been it's amazing that it's been 2 years. It's hard to believe, but a lot's been going on. Of course, we had the you know, the strings attached tour with Weird Al that was just uh, amazing with a full orchestra every night. That was a first for all of us really to have a an orchestral tour and that was just uh, exceptional and so much fun. <laughs> Just amazing. Dave and I, we went to 18 of the shows each, and it was just a blast for us in the audience. I can't imagine what it was like being on stage for all those shows. <laughs> well, it's always great to, you know, to, we, you know, on that tour, we did play some pretty wonderful venues like Red Rocks and, you know, some nice big, big venues. So that was yeah one of the great things about that tour was to play, play some big places. And, and having that huge band behind you was uh, was. You had a, a real uh, feeling of power with that going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> as far as rehearsing for the tour, how is it different than other tours when you have to consider the backup singers and the orchestra, or was it kind of a similar process? Well, you know, it, it was um, it was pretty, pretty straightforward. You know, we basically played the tunes um, that we knew, and the orchestra more or less followed us you know generally we weren't really having to follow them they the conductor made sure that the the orchestra followed along with us so we didn't have to do too much different than what we normally do the only thing i think that was a little different was because we had backup singers um i know some of my vocal parts changed you know just to accommodate the uh the female backup singers but uh but otherwise it was pretty pretty straightforward and um um you know, not you know, for for the band, I don't think it was too much of a stretch. It was really uh, just do what we're used to doing, and the orchestra will just follow along. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is an interesting point about your your backup vocals. It's something I I guess I hadn't considered. When you're actually listening to a Weird Al song, are you singing your backup parts or are you singing like the main lyrics? Like you know, when you're casually listening. Gee, you know, um, you know, sometimes I do, I do remember my backup parts, but generally on the albums, um, on the albums, you know, usually it's Al singing all the parts. There's a few exceptions on some older tunes where we, you know, we sang uh, parts as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Live, of course, you know, is another story. I I do a lot of background vocal singing live. It's, um, it's just, uh, just part of the gig. But, um, yeah, on the, on the strings attached tour, since we had the three female backup background vocalists, we uh, um, Al had did change some of my vocal parts, and and actually there was there was some that I didn't have to sing because they were covering it, so it was actually overall a little bit easier for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you actually have to change any of the music that you had to play, or was it just the the singing part that you had to change? Like, did the orchestra take over any of your parts that you normally would have played? No, not really. I, as for what I remember, it was. Uh, we pretty much just played what we normally play, and the, the orchestral arrangements were done around the band parts, you know, so they just sort of fit like a glove around what we were already doing. 
Okay, yeah, kind of. It's supplemented what you and the rest of the guys up on the stage were doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. pretty much. I mean, yeah. I can't speak for everybody, but I, I, I for me, uh, um, I pretty much was doing what I what I normally do, you know, and um, and uh, the orchestra was just making it bigger. <laughs> Based on what you're saying, it kind of sounds like when you look at the last two tours, the Strings Attached tour and the Ill-Advised Vanity tour. The Vanity tour is supposed to be this stripped down you know, very easy tour. And it sounds like that was probably even more complicated for you because you had all those cover songs to learn compared to the giant tour with the orchestra, the singers and all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. The The vanity tour was much, much more work. First of all, we started off with a song list of almost 60 songs because we had to do it. We were going to do a different set every night. So, right. you know, we had to basically have almost 60 songs um, learned and ready to go. And then, of course, every night uh, we were learning another cover song. So essentially that's, you know, 60 plus 77, you know, 137, <laughs> almost uh, maybe 130, wow. 135 songs to, to, to learn wow. for the tour. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so so uh, comparatively, the Strings Attached Tour, we were mostly doing uh, tr- stuff that we'd already done before, Um and uh, so it was for for me. It was much easier. <laughs> <laughs> wow! While you were on stage with the orchestra, did you ever have any like interactions with them, or any moments with the orchestra like uh, that you remember that stand out, like a uh, something maybe that happened in the orchestra and that you caught wind of, or anything to that effect? Any memorable experiences working with the orchestra? Gee, uh, you know, um, it's hard to. Hard to remember. I mean, I know there were some nights where the orchestra was, you know, better than others. And some of the smaller, you know, towns, like, they probably didn't have as a big a pool of musicians to to draw from. So, mm. you know, on, on, on some of the some of the shows, I think the orchestra was, you know, a, a little bit, you know. I, I remember there was one tour where the, I think the guy playing the snare drum was always like always off you know it was like <laughs> something oh, no. i can't remember what sh- sh- show it was but but generally um on that tour you know i don't have the orchestra too loud in my monitors because um i need to focus on the band you know yeah where I, I need to focus on my part and the band's part so um but you know gradually over the tour i would have them bring the level of the orchestra up a little more all the time you know just as i got more comfortable with it but but essentially my job really was to focus on on my parts and the and the band you know and yeah. make sure that was solid so um sometimes uh-huh. i wasn't listening to the orchestra that much you know so you mentioned a couple of the venues you performed that red rocks amphitheater and probably wolf trap you know were there any venues that really stood out to you and that maybe you had never played before or had not played in a while that really um you enjoyed playing on the strings attached tour well you know i would have to say red rocks was definitely the standout now we had played there many many years ago i think when we were on tour with the monkeys back in the 80s um, oh yeah, yeah. I think that's when we play there, but um, but you know, to play there as the headliner and have it sold out, and with the, with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra and their conductor, and uh, it was pretty. Uh, that was pretty much the pinnacle, I think, of the tour <laughs> for me. Anyway, yeah. we, we did we did we did play places with more people, but um, you know, I think Red Rocks was probably around nine thousand. But uh, it's a it was an amazing experience for sure. 
Wait, you played venues with more people than Red Rocks on the strings attached tour? That that place was huge. I, Ethan and I were there. I was near the front and I could not see the back of the crowd there. But you played bigger <laughs> places than that on the strings attached tour? I, I I think so. I mean, I think there were a couple, at least a couple gigs that had more more people. Um, I can't quite wow. remember. Um, wow. Maybe, um, uh, what was it in New York? Uh, New York, the... Um, Oh, Forest, Forest Hills or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, Forest that, Hills. That might have yeah, okay. been. That was pretty big. Yeah. I, I can't remember, but I think there. I don't think Red Rocks was the largest number of people, but sure, certainly was the one that stood out to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it was only every other show, but the song that really always stood out on the strings attached to it for me was "You Don't Love Me Anymore," and of course, at the end of the song, Al smashes the guitar and. <laughs> I have to believe some of it's acting, but some of it is real fear in your face when he's smashing that right next to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I just always have to take a quick look and make sure he didn't pick up one of my guitars by mistake. (laughs) I remember uh, right before before one of our shows, I had an idea for Al, and I I mentioned it to him right before we went on, and I said, hey, Al, you should... um, before you don't love me anymore, you should, you should uh, tell the audience that um, that the you know, Martin Guitar Corporation was kind enough to loan you this this vintage, priceless <laughs> uh, Martin gu- guitar that was just you know only one of a kind. You know, uh, it was so nice that they were, and he was you know, so you know he he did that whole build up and he also like you know did a shout out to the oh the guys are out in the audience thanks guys so much and you know they were happy they were so they were so kind to loan it to us because we had a problem with the last guitar and, <laughs> and so, so he, he used that as the intro and then <laughs> i'm sure people were horrified when he smashed <laughs> I, I should have been a comedy writer i mean that was a good gag <laughs> that's a great gag I wish I saw that one. <laughs> Did you ever get hit by the flying pieces? Any injuries sustained? Well, you know, I I do remember getting you know hit and not not hurt, but I remember pieces flying. Sometimes they would just explode, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think I, I I think Al himself once years ago uh, had a shard of uh, a sliver of wood just went right up his nose. Wow! Yeah, he, need, he needs he needs to needs to wear goggles when he does that. <laughs> Nose plugs, goggles. Wow! Now, are those guitars that are used uh, that he smashes in uh, "You Don't Love Me Anymore"? Are they like gimmicked? Are they uh, weakened at all, or is are they like really just authentic guitars? And he's just smashing them as hard as he can to try to break them. Um, they're real guitars. I think they loosen the strings on them a little bit, so they don't you know really explode but um no they're real guitars yeah they're real guitars and um you know they're just something that the promoter provides you know just but you know over the years um i got to you know i i got in the habit of always checking out the guitar that they were going to smash for that evening just in case something you know really cool came right came in Right, <laughs> because because you know they might have gone to a pawn shop and and maybe you know got something that was really valuable. But I do remember <laughs> once there was um, uh, an old Hawaiian lap steel guitar, acoustic guitar, and I said, "Oh, you can't smash that," you know. Um, 
And I said, I, you know, I'll take that, you know. And they said, well, it's actually okay because we have another another guitar from one night where we, you know, had an extra guitar. We didn't do two shows or something. So I took that guitar home and I I ended up using that on like some Honda commercials and you know, wow, <laughs> using it on <laughs> wow. Uh, <use> <laughs> Using it on some recordings. Yeah, I still have it, yeah. Wow, good thing you checked. <laughs> yeah. I saved it from being smashed. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so now when you travel with Weird Al and you know you're going to be performing You Don't Love Me Anymore, do you bring like a spare, really cheap guitar just in case that happens again? You're like, yeah, I'll just switch this out. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good idea. It's yeah. just to keep one on hand, yeah. <laughs> I'll take this and I'll trade you for this one. Yeah. <laughs> so way, way back, episode one inch, when we, we first talked to you on the podcast, it was still before the tour even happened and we we're still speculating and, and you, you told us about how Weasel Stomping Day was going to be on tour and, and you said you weren't sure if you're going to have to wear a weasel costume. And so, I mean, I mean, at least <laughs> the shows I went to, you weren't wearing a weasel costume. Uh, how did that turn out? <laughs> Yeah, no weasel costumes. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I didn't. He didn't have to play anything, of course, because we were just singing it. You know, the orchestra was doing all the all the work. But yeah, um, uh, <laughs> right. But it was. It was. No, it was actually fun. It was. It was fun for me. Uh, uh, that that song was fun for me because I, um, on the original recording, I I did all the orchestra parts. You know, on a on a sampler. You know. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the arrangement for it, you know, and so on the tour, of course, now I get to hear it, you know, played by a real orchestra, which was, you know, kind of a thrill to hear hear the parts that you came up with all those years ago. Yeah, played, you know, oh, yeah. played with a real by a real orchestra. That was that was pretty cool. And you you did, I mean, there was no weasel costume, but you did get to wear the the Viking helmets. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, we had some we had some Viking helmets. Right. <laughs> It's a good compromise, I assume. <laughs> yep. Now, one thing um, Dave and I did is each show we went to, we, we recorded a podcast episode where we reviewed that show. And I mean, after a while, it's the same show over and over. So we, we really started getting desperate and we were trying to find different things. And one thing we noticed and we ended up reporting on every single episode was at one point you got a haircut. And I was just wondering, you know, do you still have that haircut or, you know, whatever happened to it? Gee, I don't don't remember. <laughs> I, 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 so I mean, I'm saying it again. I got a what a haircut. <laughs> it's more of a what? joke question, but yeah, you got a haircut at one point on the tour. So every episode we would be like, and Jim still has his haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's yeah. I, I don't remember, but yeah, probably. <laughs> Oh, we we took note of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Geez, I don't remember, but it makes sense. <laughs> there are hours and hours of recorded audio of us discussing your haircut. So, uh, <laughs> you ever need to relive that? <laughs> okay. So I'm wondering, Jim, is there any chance that we get a new Weird Al tour coming up anytime soon? Well, um, the rumor is that there will be one next year. That's what that's what I'm hearing. And, um, you know, of course, it depends on so many things right now. Normally, a tour, we would just say when we're going to tour, and then that's when we would tour. But um, I know a lot of a lot of acts are getting out there this in the are planning to be out in the fall, but or late summer and fall, but um 
I'm sure we're not going to be doing that. But I think if there is, it'll be next year, you know, um, sometime maybe, I don't know, uh, spring or summer maybe. I'm not really totally sure. But um, what I understand is that they're looking at trying to, to do a tour next year, and that would be uh, – be, be really fun for sure. We haven't played, if I can remember the songs, it's been a while. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah. Oh, I really, yeah. I cannot wait to, to see you guys back on the road. Now, it, you know, if you had your choice, just looking at the entire catalog of songs you've worked on with Al over the years, is there a song that you would love to play live that maybe you've never performed live or only did on one tour or anything like that? Gee, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I, I love Genius in France, but it's such a complicated song. I don't know that we could, you know, pull it off live. I mean, um, hmm. it's so com- complex, you know. Um, and, um, I mean, I would love to tr- give it a shot, but yeah. you know, I'm not sure, you know. it's It's got a lot going on. You know, a lot of background vocals and, you know, it's um, it probably is not possible. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys pulled off uh, Jackson Park Express really incredibly so you know maybe maybe someday right (laughs) yeah yeah jackson park express was um a complicated song it's one of the only ones that i ended up needing a chart for for the whole tour it was just too much to to commit to memory you know (laughs) right wow (laughs) i can imagine And, you know, it's, it's not unprecedented to have long songs. Of course, you did Albuquerque on tour as well. So, so there's another yeah. precedent there for long songs. Well, with Albuquerque, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. And I remember it would, it would, we would play it so fast that, I, I, you know, the part on the record is all played with downstrokes on the guitar and, you know, to get to, to be more aggressive. And, hmm. I, you know, after doing that for, you know, all those however long that song is i mean after a while i would my wrist would start cramping up and it's like okay i, I can't take this much longer you know? wow. <laughs> wow what is the most difficult song to perform live is it jackson park express is it albuquerque well um not really i mean uh I think the most difficult songs for me would be songs where i'm really having to play a lot and sing a lot yeah um you know, and there were a number of tu- number of tunes like that on the on the uh, Vanity tour, where I really, I mean, I really, I really had to sing a lot on that tour. I had my own teleprompter, and you know, to because of, there were so many lyrics. And um, but um, you know, I think overall, most of the songs, I mean, I don't find anything too hard to play. But it's usually when it comes to the be the, the combination of playing. Um, and singing, you know, and sometimes right. you're playing something completely different than what you're singing. And for me, that's the most difficult. You just have to, you just have to do it over and over and over again till it's natural. But, uh, yeah. but um, you know, to me, that's that's the hardest stuff. I can't really think of any particular examples. But a lot of that stuff on the Vanity Tour was like that, you know, right. where you got a lot of rocket rocking on going on on the guitar and lead lines and you're singing at the same time and trying to split your brain into two two pieces you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> let's hope that the rumors of a 2022 tour are true and if they if they are true what kind of tour jim would you be looking forward to would be another strings attached tour would you be interested in doing another vanity tour or going back to like uh, a pre like a mandatory fun style tour yeah um 
I don't know. I mean, I I, li- I like all those tours and, and, and for their different. I, I don't think I don't think it would be a, a an orchestral tour because um, I think you know they're talking about trying to maybe uh, you know tour in other parts of the world and I mean I just think overall it would be so complex. But uh, yeah, but you know I'm it's not not my decision, so I don't really don't know. But <laughs> but um, you know the van- the vanity tour, even though it was a lot of work, was a was a lot of fun uh, musically. You know it was really um, really you know something where you just it really challenges you and and you know in that respect i kind of kind of like that idea a lot you know it's, right. you, it's not like you get get it's not like you just get um you go through the motions if it's this you know uh, one of these some of the bigger tours it's the same set every night and there's not much variation in the show so you can kind of uh, you know almost phone it in i guess sometimes but, <laughs> right but um <laughs> but on the on the vanity tour you can't do that you have to really you know be at the top of your game and um, you know, so even though it was a lot of work, it is it is kind of uh, fulfilling in that respect. We spoke to uh, someone who actually worked on the Stitcher end of the Vanity Tour, um, our friend Lex Friedman. He's a Weird Al fan. And he was talking about how, you know, getting to have that instant kind of feedback of hearing the previous night's show. Is that something where where you like getting to listen back and, and, and hear how a show went, or are you someone who was just like, I did it. I'm, I just want to move forward, do the next show. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really listen to the previous shows, but I would hear, hear little bits and pieces um, every so often that, you know, somebody would be playing and, and, um, and sometimes there'd be some video we'd watch, you know, uh, and I was always interesting to, to see it. I always like, you know, like checking it out. Um, but a lot of times um, it would just be uh iPhone videos on YouTube, you know, I mean, it was, you, you could, you know, the next day you could go to YouTube and there were iPhone <laughs> videos of the show from last night, you know, yeah. and, um, and it was kind of nice, you know, to hear some of them were, uh, you know, you'd hear, you'd see the video on YouTube and, and it would, you could hear everything and it would be like, oh my God, I can hear all the instruments. It's, right. the mix must be really good, you know, for it to. <laughs> For the iPhone, you know, for the phone video to still sound good, right. so so sometimes that was really uh, really kind of cool to to hear, you know, just the people's iPhone videos. Oh yeah, especially since the mix is different for what you hear on stage. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, cool. I know. I know. Al Al listen listens to the playbacks a lot in the first few weeks of the of the tour to to make sure that the sound people are getting all their cues and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't listen back to him so much, you know. I just but I do, you know, every so often I get to hear some and um, it's pretty pretty cool to listen back to it. So I know it's still early uh, to think about this. If you were out on tour in 2022, would there be any chance that there might be a supplemental Jim Chemo West tour that followed along with that as well? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I, I've sort of thought about, um, you know, maybe trying to play a few shows here and there. Uh, it's a little difficult because... Um, you know, things can change, schedules can change, and and if I booked a show, like say on a night off, um, logistically it would be fine. But then again, what happens if we don't stay in town that day? We they decide to travel the next day. Then, right. Then right. I've got to get myself. <laughs> I got to get myself to the right. next place, and <laughs> so it's it is a little complicated, you know. Um, but you know, I I. You know, I might try to try to do it. You know, I might I might try maybe not a tour, but I might try and play a few shows here and there if I 
if uh, if it you know if it looks like it's possible you know um but it was it's it's always nice to do that because if you're in in town and you've got a night off of and you're already there why not you know why not try to try to play a show so um i know a couple of times i've done that and al's come down and played accordion with me (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) so you know it it might happen he plays accordion on your songs then not his not his songs you're not playing his songs then right yeah well uh, i think the the last couple of times he joined us, you know, he would play on something of mine, and then we would do something else, like uh, "Buy Me a Condo." I think was good because it's sort of a reggae islandy thing, you know. <laughs> um, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so we've done that a few times, but uh, but yeah, it's it's fun. It, 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 I, I remember once playing in Nashville, and he came down, and um, you know, we didn't announce it or anything. It was just a surprise, and right. <laughs> I I had a pretty good pretty good crowd in there, but then I, you know. After Al got up and played, you know, then I think everybody got on their phone and started texting everybody, and all, all of a sudden the place really, the place got really jammed. <laughs> the word got out, you know. But um, yeah, we've had some 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 fun times like that. It's it's cool. I think maybe the best time you've ever done a solo show was the one that I booked for you before your Schenectady show on the the second mandatory fun tour. Oh, that's right. I remember that one. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how convenient. It was in the same venue, same day as the Weird Al show. It was so great. (laughs) Yeah, it was right there in the same building. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I am curious, you know, when when you are getting ready to to go out and, and tour with Al, what is your process for rehearsal? Is it something where you guys kind of do it on your own, or do you guys get together in, in the same room and, and play through the songs? Yeah, it's both, really. I mean, basically, when Al's got the um, the song list, we, we um, he, he sends us the song list, and he'll send us, you know, reference materials and charts, and, you know, so we have a few weeks ahead of any rehearsals to, you know, to go through the stuff and learn and go over things we need to go or learn things we need to learn and then when we come to rehearsal you know we've generally got the parts learned right and then it's just a matter of playing them through and just ironing out the bugs and um and you know and you know and if we're doing something you know that we've done before a million times and of course that's not much that's not much work we just kind of have to just refresh you know it's just more of a refresher you know yeah um and in fact, on the mandatory tour, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, on the Strings Attached tour, I mean, all those songs were pretty much, except Jackson Park Express, I mean, we pretty much played those. Well, we had played Jackson Park Express before, too. But um, all the other tunes, you know, I probably could have just ju- jumped in there with no rehearsal and, play, and played yeah. that show. <laughs> <laughs> except, except, for, except for the, um, you know, uh, the backup vocals, of course. That was, I had to change some of those, but... Right. But yeah, musically, um, you know, the stuff that we've played f- for years, if if we're, you know, playing those tunes again, then it's more of just a refresher. But but any especially with anything new and new material, then we, um, you know, we, we do do our homework for a few weeks before we re- start rehearsing. Mm. Now, I know we haven't really had the Yoda chant in many years since it's just been kind of these, you know, different types of tours. But when that happens is that something where al's like okay this is the new yoda chant or is that more of a collaborative process um usually he comes up with it but in the in the early days um when we first started doing yoda chant we um 
you know, we would sit in the back of the bus and, and we would just sort of uh, brainstorm <laughs> and come up with crazy stuff, you know. So some of the some of the early early Yoda chants were uh, collaborative in a way. We'd sort of come up with stuff in the back, you know, on uh, while we're riding riding down the road and in the bus and. Um, and then, of course, you know, as you know, it just got longer and longer. <laughs> Al would find unusual things, and we would p- put it all together. And uh, um, yeah, yeah, the Yoda chant was one reason I could never get a, a uh, somebody to fill in for me. That's because I could never <laughs> expect them to could never expect anybody to, to learn the whole show and then learn that too. <laughs> It'd like be like, forget it. You know? <laughs> That's got to be so much fun, though. Yeah, I got to imagine that's a that's a lot to learn. How long does it? How long did it take you to learn that that all those movements <laughs> that you have to do up there for the Yoda chant? Well, you know, I mean, we we never learned it all at once. We started off with it very s- small, short, and <laughs> and since you're adding to it, you know, you're just kind of remembering your your previous parts and then adding something new to it, you know. <laughs> so in that in that respect, um, you know, it wasn't too hard. It was just really uh, um, just learning learning the new part for the for the tour, you know, and then piecing it all together and and uh, <laughs> you know, so it wasn't you know, it, it would be very very hard for somebody just to come in and learn it all fresh you learn the whole thing from scratch (laughs) (laughs) have you guys ever discussed doing like a a studio recording of the yoda chant like officially put it down on a track i haven't heard anybody talk about it but that sure that would be cool (laughs) that would be really cool (laughs) al could put it out put that out he could he could put it out as a single on spotify yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) i am curious I guess just about your origin in the Weird Al band, just going all the way back, you know, almost 40 years. The story I've always heard is that you were suggested by Steve Jays. Is that how it went? Um, yeah, you know, Steve and I knew each other from Florida because we both grew up there and uh, played in bands. We played in some bands together there. And once we were both out in L.A., Steve had uh, had met Al, um, got called to do play bass on Al's very first record the record that he when he got his record deal with scotty brothers um and um the one that has ricky and rocky road on it um and um yeah and I, you know i mean just, i remember he called me in one day and just said hey this guy al is <laughs> looking for a guitar player and he's going to audition guitar players and he plays accordion and i said well does he have any gigs and Steve said, yeah, he's got some gigs, you know, <laughs> paying gigs. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but so I, I just went down and I auditioned. I learned a couple of, you know, a few of his tunes and, and auditioned. And then one day he called me on the phone and said, oh, you got the gig. And, and, wow. um, and um, we started doing some, you know, some smaller, smallish gigs around L.A., more or less kind of a, you know, as a warm-up to a, a bigger show that was – the famous Santa Monica Civic Center where we opened for missing persons. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's the one where they uh, basically threw everything they had. The audience threw anything they could at us. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, that's that's essentially how it happened, yeah. And was it just like, you know, each album and each tour, was it like, hey, Jim, or, you know, you want to do this one? Or was it just sort of, at what point did it become like, 
you are the guitar player and you're not just someone being brought in. Well, it was it was pretty much like that once I got once, you know, once I joined the band, once I passed the audition, it was, you know, I was the guitar player. And, <laughs> and pretty much was. Uh, there were there, there were a couple of times way back when, you know, cuz I had this alternate career writing music for film and TV and there were a couple of times when it didn't work out and I had somebody fill in for me. But that was a long, long, long time ago though. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. But yeah, no, it's, you know, I've always been the guitar player, pretty much. <laughs> and for the audition itself, was it Al and Jay and, and Rick Derringer? Or what was what was the lineup of the, or how, how did the audition go? Um, I don't think, no, it was just, uh, it was just Al and Bermuda and Steve and myself. And, um, and then I think they had another couple of guitar players that came in and played a bit, but hmm. You know, I was just basically running over a few tunes you know, of his tunes. And Do you have any memory of, of what tunes you played in the audition? Uh, some of Val's really older stuff. Um, maybe Stop Dragging My Car Around, yeah. possibly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I can't remember exactly, but yeah. there were, you know, a couple of two or three tunes from, from that era. Um, yeah. And um, and I remember here on the on those songs uh demos maybe they were i'm not sure they i thought oh i said oh the guitar on there is really good and and bermuda goes yeah, that's my brother playing you know richard, uh, bermuda's brother is um richard bennett you know who's quite a well-known guitarist in nashville um, yeah well he was in la at the time but but richard plays right. with has played with mark mark knopfler for many many years yeah but anyway yeah no it was uh i i remember where the uh the place was too it was uh i, I think well, I know we used to rehearse sometimes down in, in Hollywood on Coenga at this little rehearsal studio place. It might have been down there that I auditioned. Yeah. One wow. of those hole-in-the-wall audition pl- uh, rehearsal spaces. And before Steve approached you, had you heard of Weird Al before? Yeah, I actually had. You know, um, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but then I realized, oh, yeah, I remember hearing something. I was pl- I used to play in a big club in Florida, and like a house band gig uh, for a couple of years almost. And, and I remember once the, um, the DJ, they used to get a lot of records from uh, TK Records in Miami. And, they, oh. and he played this thing and it was like, and I just went up to him and said, what is that? <laughs> and he goes, it's this guy, <laughs> Weird Al. And it was another one rides the bus, you know? Wow. And, <laughs> and it, it was funny because it sounded so out of place because they were playing a lot of, you know, kind of, I don't know disco tracks and things like that over the over the sound system, and then that came on. It was like that really stood out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> but I do I, wow. I do remember he- hearing that many many years ago one time in the um at the at this club and and then I re- put two and two together. I said, Oh, it's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so I, I guess you know going even further back, do you remember how you met Steve? Was it just did you audition for the band he was in or no well i think we met in college you know we were both in the same college and um you know i didn't um i didn't stick with the college i got into music at a pretty early age and um but i was always hanging out there you know we uh, in the music department with all the people i played in bands with were all in the music department and uh, so yeah i knew him from college and then you know at some point um at some point we started doing a playing a couple bands together yeah i i saw a photo of of you and steve and and a band called 
is it Livingston or Livingstone? Oh, Livingstone. Yeah, yeah. That was um, that might have been the first band I played in with them. It was yeah, um, yeah. It was it was kind of like a band that played in like I seem to be like kind of hotel bars and stuff. Okay, uh, <laughs> it wasn't my favorite favorite. It was a good band, but it wasn't my favorite kind of circuit to play in. I was more into the rock clubs and stuff. But yeah, but um, it was a, it was a good band. But then I think that morphed into a band called Zazoo, which was um, actually a quite a quite a good band. We played in, you know, much hipper places. Oh, cool. So. <laughs> and do you recall, you know, what age did you first join a, a band? Like, what was the first band you ever were part of? Uh, you know, I can't remember the name of it, but, or if it even had a name, but it was, um, I was 16 and they had, uh, it was, um, I think it was bass, drums, and guitar, and there was a guy singer and two girl singers, and uh, I don't even remember the name of it. But they basically <laughs> only had one gig. Yeah, they had one gig, but it was a good. It was a good <laughs> gig. It was at a f uh, fair. Of, I think it was some kind of fair, and we rehearsed, you know, a whole bunch, and then we played this, you know, our set at this fair, you know, with the bleachers and you know, big stage and everything, and and I. Um, I remember I got paid 40 bucks, which in that time was, you know, I was 16 and it was like, hey, this is pretty groovy, man. Yeah. I played music for an hour and made some yeah. money, you know. Yeah, that's uh, great. And uh, back in those days, that was that was a good chunk of change. And But yeah, I, I do, I have one memory from that is that, you know, on one, I'd never played in front of people before. It was my first time, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of nervous, you know. Yeah. And, um, on one song, I had to use a wah-wah pedal, you know, so it's, you know, that pedal you <laughs> yep. use, it goes wah-wah, you know, you know, and I my, I was so nervous that my foot started shaking, you know, so the sound was going wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And somebody later was, wow, how did you get that sound? That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> So, you, you know, your first onstage performance at 16, when did you first pick up a guitar? Oh, probably when I was about 12 or something, you know, and I played mostly by myself because I didn't know any other guitar players. But then, you know, in high school, I met met a guy who played guitar, a couple guys who played guitar, and, mm -hmm. you know, got to, you know, kind of jam a bit with, with other people. And then one mm -hmm. day, some guy just, one of my friends in high school just said, hey, you know, do you want to be part of our band? And I was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did any of these early bands that you were in like Livingstone or Zazu did they ever put out any commercial recordings or anything to that effect no no back then no um sadly no but there were um you know I probably have some cassettes of live recordings of some of those bands uh you know the, that's that would be all I have I don't don't remember there being any actual real records you know mm -hmm. um mm. you know like studio things or anything like that there was a band i was in um original band um called mithril m-y-t-h-r-i-l it was a really interesting band very kind of i would say prog rock band you know at the time um a lot of original material and we did make a recording of three song demo i'd guess call it at a but it was a you know it was a real recording and um and that was pretty cool. I still have copies of that here somewhere. I don't, oh, cool! Not sure wow. where, but um, but it was um, but yeah, that's you know, I think that's the only thing from back in those days that, that was actually really 
recorded. And was your recording with Mithril, was that the first time you've ever, you were ever on a commercial recording like that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was commercial because it was never released. You know, it was like really a, oh. more of a demo, a demo, you know. Okay, but, gotcha. Um, yeah. But, um, but it was the first time in an actual studio. You know, I'd done recording before at home with my own, you know, little tape recorders and stuff. Right. But uh, that was the first real um, studio recording, you know, that I had done. Hey, Jim, would you mind sticking around just a bit longer? I feel like we barely scratched the surface and we have so much more to chat about. Sure. Uh, sounds great, guys. Let's uh, finish this interview on next week's episode. Sounds great, Jim. In the meantime, be sure to grab Jim's incredible brand new album, Ka Hanua Maluhia Peaceful World at JimKimoWest.com. All right, Jim, we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Hey, Ethan, it's time for an ad. Wow, Dave, you are right. It's time for our David Grant ad this week. We know he's David Grant, but did we also know he's MC Choskin and writes books and stuff? I don't know. I'll add more stuff later. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for reminding me about all that great stuff David Grant has done and has available on his website. Hmm, Ethan, can you please remind me of David Grant's website? Well, Dave, it's obviously wolfinwool.com. Well, that's right, wolfinwool.com. Yep, wolfinwool.com. Ah, David Grant. Yes, David Grant. This week's episode is also brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota uh, beautiful, it's also, oh no, banking. Hey, Dave, look, someone sent us a letter. Ooh, let me see. What's it say? What's it say? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. To whom it may concern. Oh, I think that means us. We have found that you are in violation. Oh, no, no, no. This is for intern Frank, okay. You are in violation of code 372 580 Section 6 of the Canadian Podcasting Standards and Practices Bureau of Canadian Wellbeing and Standard Practice. Oh, no, that can't be good. What did we, uh, uh, what did Frank do this time? Well, it seems like our Discover Darwin ad being about perennial bang so many weeks in a row is very frowned upon. Well, what's the punishment? Well, it says here the punishment is that we will no longer be receiving the annual Canadian Podcasting Standards and Practices Bureau of Canadian Well-Being and Standard Practice Holiday Card. No! We need that holiday card, Dave. What can we do? Is there fun? I don't care how much it costs. That's what Patreon is for. All right, all right. Calm down. It says here, in order to invalidate the injunction on our holiday card, we just have to say, sorry. Absolutely not. Well, in me saying that we have to say sorry, that in fact counted as us saying sorry. And now I've said it three times. Well, there goes your holiday card from me, Dave. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin more than just a twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Each week, we're able to bring you our podcast absolutely free thanks to our sponsors, Burrito Burrito, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, and David Grant. 
And thank you to our amazing close personal friend, Patreon supporters, Jake Javier, UH Jeff, Zeb, Allison Blair, Frank from the Bank, Kenneth and Jared, and thanks to Joe and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly weekly Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch or by picking up some pretty stinking majestic official Dave and Ethan's 2000inch Weird Al podcast merchandise like t-shirts, pillows, tank tops, and more over at shop.2000inch.com. Remember, right now, Patreon supporters can check out the first two episodes of the Black and White and Weird All Over bonus episode series, our special book series where we sit down with author John Bermuda Schwartz and we go page by page, picture by picture, centimeter by centimeter through his book, Black and White and Weird All Over. Patreon supporters get to hear all bonus episodes early. Everyone else, stay tuned. Frank said he would post them outside of Patreon once he finishes our laundry. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans. Join our Facebook community and post about Weird Al by visiting group.2000inch.com. And we also love it when we receive voicemail via our official 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula. You might even hear your message on the air. For everything about our podcast, including incredible past episodes and guests, be sure to visit WeirdOutPodcast.com or 2000inch.com and keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addicts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Thank you once again for not only being our guest, but for being the incredible Grammy Award winning composer and singer of our incredible theme song, Jim Kimo West. Also, big thank you to Kenneth Gwinnup, Trevor Oakley, Trevor's Weird Friend, Samantha Evans, Blair Freeman, and Zeb Lemke. And thank you to Weird Al, as this podcast probably wouldn't exist without him. And a big thanks to all of you, our listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for listening to Dave and Ethan's 2000's Weird Al Podcast. And always remember to gill and chill. And be sure to tune in next week for part two of our incredible interview with the Grammy Award winning theme song writer, Jim Kimo West. Oh, and look at this. He also plays slacky guitar. Oh, and I think he's in Weird Al's band, too. That was Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 112-inch. Mecca lecca hi, mecca hiney ho. Happy Father's Day, Dad. <laughs> what is this piece of crap? I thought I told you I wanted a Rolex!